Good morning, Strong Tower. This is Pastor Chris coming at you on this beautiful Sunday morning, April 5th, 2020. This is the day that the Lord has made. I know somebody's ready to rejoice and be glad in it. And now we are going to worship the Lord through Holy Communion. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And for Palm Sunday, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 21 right now to set the tone for communion. I'll begin reading at verse 6 where the Bible says, So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Oh, when Jesus came riding triumphantly into town, the Bible says they grabbed their palm branches and they waved them and the palm branches, they are a sign of salvation. They are a sign of deliverance. So they were waving these branches at the deliverer, at their king. And then they would shout based on the Psalms, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna literally means save us, Lord. Save us, God. Deliver us, God. And they were crying out to Jesus to deliver them. And he would, in fact, deliver them. He would deliver us, not politically, but on an old rugged cross. Just a few days later, he would lay his life down on the cross. And so let us remember the body and the blood of Jesus through Holy Communion. If you would, family, take the bread. This bread is symbolic of the body of our Lord. God became man. He became flesh. Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus grew up. He never sinned so that he could die in the place of sinners. He performed miracles. He raised the dead. He touched the sick. He helped the hurting. And he always did good. And so we thank him that we have a savior who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to struggle, who knows what it's like to go through betrayal from close friends. And we thank God that he can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, yet without sin. So Strong Tower, let's remember the Lord's body together. And now we come to the cup, which symbolizes the blood, the precious blood of Jesus. The Bible says that there can be no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus not only came, but he died. He laid down his life as the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The Bible says that it's by his stripes that we are healed. That Jesus was whipped, he was beaten, he was bruised. Nails were driven through his hands, 
through his feet. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. Jesus sweat blood. Jesus shed blood. And the Bible lets us know that it's because of the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven once and for all. So Strong Tower, if you've got the victory, and I know you got it if you've got Jesus, let's remember the Lord through partaking of the blood. Let's commune together. Let the church say amen. <laughs> Let the church say amen. Thank you, Lord, for the victory. Thank you that we get to remember you in a tangible way through holy communion. We bless you, Lord. Now, Strong Tower, it's time for us to spend a little bit of time in the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, would you go to James chapter 5? We'll begin at James and then we'll flip back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and chapter 18. But we're in James chapter 5 to begin. There are times people will ask me questions about this unusual season that we're in right now. As it pertains to COVID-19 the coronavirus, this quarantine in our homes, and they're asking me, Pastor, what do you think is happening right now? And usually what that question entails is, what is happening prophetically as far as the Bible is concerned? Are we in the last days? Is the Lord about to come? And the question is, of course we're in the last days. The last days began on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit uh, gave birth to the church. The Spirit was poured out in the last days. We've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And yes, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The good news is we're one day closer to the return of Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But some will say, okay, Pastor, that's the general answer. What's the specific answer? What is going on? right now. Well, I usually say to people, I can't tell you exactly what this is, but I can tell you what this is like. Can I say that one more time? I can't tell you exactly what is going on right now, but I can tell you what this season is like. And it's like the days of Elijah the days when there was a drought in the land, a drought that caused a famine in the land, but a drought that led to a change of the people of God. That's what I think this time is like. So let me read for you James chapter five, beginning in verse 17. The Bible reads, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. You see what happened here? He prayed it stopped raining. He prayed after three and a half years and it rained again on the earth. And so I'm going to entitle today's Palm Sunday message, Pray Again. Pray Again. 
Let me pray right now. Lord, I thank you for technology. I thank you, Lord God, for the Internet. I thank you, Lord, that we can still be together, even though we can't technically be together. I thank you, Lord, that I still get an opportunity to minister to your people through your word. So, Lord, would you bless this medium? Would you bless this opportunity? May we all come away from this different than how we began. May your word speak to us. May your spirit have his way with us. We yield, Lord, beginning with me. Speak to me that you may speak through me with the goal of speaking to your people so that we may all live lives worthy of our heavenly calling. Thank you for these unusual yet exciting days. We acknowledge that you are in control and there is a purpose in all of this. Hopefully, Lord, that we're coming closer to you so that we can look more like you as a result of looking more to you. We pray all this in Jesus name and for his sake. Amen. Pray again. Yes, it's time to pray again. The Bible says in verse 18 that Elijah prayed again. There are three points I want us to consider today, and that is this. Prayer may have gotten us into this. Secondly, prayer is going to get us through this. And then thirdly, prayer is going to get us out of this. Amen. Oh, yeah. I, I believe I hear MC Hammer in my left ear saying it's time to pray. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hammer made a song about prayer. If Hammer's talking about prayer, you know we got to pray today just to make it today. Let's pray again, God's people. First point, prayer may have gotten us into this. Prayer may have gotten us into the situation that we're in now. Pastor, what are you talking about? Look at James chapter 5, verse 17. The Bible says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So Elijah prayed, and as a result of his prayers, the heavens were shut up, and there was no rain for three and a half years. So the hard times that the Israelites would end up going through, the drought that would lead to famine and no doubt many lives perishing came as a result of the prayer of the prophet Elijah. And so the question is, why would Elijah pray and not only pray, he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, that they would be in a tough season like that? Yes, because the children of Israel were in a backslidden state at this time in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings 17 lets us know that Israel was under the leadership of King Ahab. And King Ahab was an idolater. King Ahab was a Baal worshiper. And he was married to a lovely woman named Jezebel. And she worshipped the counter god to Baal, and that was Asherah. And so she was an idol worshiper. He was an idol worshiper. And their influence contaminated the land. Their influence as leaders 
uh, uh, led God's people astray into idolatry. And so there was idolatry in the land. There was the Baal worship going on. And Baal was a fraud god. Baal was a Canaanite deity. He was a concoction of the hands of man. And Israel, who knew the one true and living God, his name being Yahweh, chose to stop worshiping Yahweh and began to worship Baal. Well, what's the big deal about Baal? Well, Baal was said to have been the god of rain, the god of fertility. And so the Jews began to worship Baal so that he might send them rain because the Jews of old were an agrarian people, which means that they lived off the land, the things that they planted, the things that they harvested and all of their cattle. They, they thrived on the earth. So therefore, they needed rain from above to come down on the earth in order to replenish the crops and also to give the animals the nourishment and the people the nourishment through water. And so they worshiped Baal to get the rain. But little did they know, or I guess they forgot, that there's only one God. And he's the true and living God. And he is Yahweh. And he is the one who sends the rain. Not Baal. Again, he's a fraud God. He's a counterfeit. And the people had changed the glory of God for Baal. And along with worshiping Baal came other lewd activities, uh, much of which was gross sexual immorality. So here the people of God who are to be peculiar, who are to be holy, they've been set apart by Yahweh. They have turned their backs on him. They have backslidden into Baal worship and Asherah worship. So Elijah, who was the prophet during that time, he prayed. He prayed because he knew that the people needed to get their attention back on God. And so he prayed that God would shut up the heavens for three and a half years. Because if Baal can't give you the water then that means that they're going to have to go back to the one true God to give them water from the sky. So he prayed that it would not rain. And, and the Bible says in James that he prayed earnestly. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. The Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, who is the king, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so before he proclaimed what was going to happen, he prayed about what was going to happen. And God spoke to him in prayer and said, yes, I will honor your request that the, the heavens will be shut up for three and a half years. Now go and proclaim that to King Ahab. And so in his prayer closet, James says he prayed earnestly. Uh, in the Greek language, when it says that he prayed earnestly, that literally means in prayer, he prayed. In prayer, he prayed, meaning that he got deeper in his prayer. He went deeper into the refuge, into the secret place. That it just wasn't some little pity pat prayer. No, he went deep into prayer. And when we go deep into prayer, deep into the secret place with God, many times that kind of prayer is going to be demonstrative. 
That means we're going to fall on our faces before God. This is how serious we are. Our hearts are serious and it shows up in a very serious posture. So we put our faces down. We get on our knees before God. We lift our hands before God saying, Lord, we need your help from heaven. And so when you are praying earnestly, when you are going deeper into prayer, your body is going to show that there will be an earnestness in your prayers. It will show in your posture. But not only that, it will show up emotionally when you're praying earnestly like Elijah prayed. When you're praying uh, earnestly, it manifests emotionally, which means you may cry out while you're praying. You, you may cry while you're praying. Uh, there may be tears. And as Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8 says of the Lord Jesus, that Jesus was heard by his father as he prayed with vehement tears as he prayed loudly before God, as he ached and moaned before God, the Bible says he was heard because of his vehement cries. And so it's okay to cry out in prayer. That's when we're praying earnestly. We get emotional. But not only is earnest prayer demonstrative and not only is it emotional, it's also sacrificial. This means that we're willing to turn a plate over for a season. That is not eat, fast, and seek the God of heaven. Deny our body natural appetites that we may grow in the spiritual man or woman that we might focus on God all the more. The Bible says in the Old Testament that when we're fasting, it elevates our voices in heaven, meaning that the volume is turned up because we're showing God how serious we are, that we're bypassing food, that we're bypassing certain things that our body enjoys. And there's not only uh, this thing of fasting food and turning a plate over, we can fast by turning some things off, getting off of social media, media turning off the television. In other words, I'm going to be still during this time. I'm going to focus my prayers more intently on what is burdening my heart. And you know how serious a situation is if you're willing to fast about it. Some things won't come out, Jesus said, without prayer and fasting. So earnest prayer Elijah sent forth that was demonstrative, emotional, and sacrificial. And he prayed that it wouldn't rain so that the people would see that Baal was a false god, a fraud god, and they needed to turn to the one true and living God. Now, if you notice, the, the, the uh, drought went for three and a half years. So here we are. Uh, a few weeks in to this quarantine, and some of us are struggling more than others, understandably so. But what if this were to go on for several more months? I mean, three and a half years versus maybe a couple of months. So we need to put things in perspective and not complain so much. Because what's the deal? God is going to leave them in that situation long enough for them to look up to him. And it would take a long time for God to have their full attention again. So the question is, 
Does God have your attention right now? Does God have my attention right now? Because the purpose of this, this drought, this virus is to get our attention. Now, Pastor, you said that Elijah and the people, they got into that by his prayers. How did we get into this season by our prayers? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. Have you ever prayed and asked God, Lord, send revival in the land? Have you ever prayed, Lord, would you make America a just land? Have you ever prayed anything like that? Uh, Lord, would you humble our president and our leaders and cause them to depend on you? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever prayed, uh, Lord, whatever it takes, may men and women come to know you for themselves? Well, if you've ever prayed a prayer, something like one of those prayers, it's your prayers and my prayers that put us in the predicament that we're in today. We want God to get people's attention. And not only people who are lost, but we've been praying, Lord, send revival to the church. Guess what's happening? The church is focusing on God like we haven't in a long time. So this is a good thing. And this may have, in fact, come about because God's people have been praying. If you've ever prayed, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord, please, Jesus, come and rescue us, Jesus. You have prayed these kinds of seasons into existence. So be encouraged. It may have been your prayers and my prayers that got us into this. But secondly, it's going to be our prayers that's going to get us through this. Can I get an amen? It's going to be our prayers, our talking to God. And the Bible says that there was nothing special about Elijah. He was a man just like us. Uh, but what was special was who Elijah was talking to. Elijah was ordinary, but his God is extraordinary. There's nothing special about me or about you, but everything is special about the one who we talk to in prayer in the name of Jesus. We're talking to someone who has all power, who has all authority, who can do everything but fail, who has an unblemished track record, who is God, a very God. That's who we're talking to when we pray. Oh my goodness. And prayer is going to get us through this. Uh, the problem in the land, as we're going to see, was more spiritual than it was physical. The problem in the land is more spiritual than it is physical. Uh, read with me in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So he's about to go now after three and a half years and talk to Ahab, hoping and praying and believing that Ahab and the people of God have been broken as a result of this drought, that, that it has caused their hearts to humble, to be humbled and to be softened and to come back to God. No rain for three and a half years. 
for a people that live off of rain in order to saturate the ground. No rain, which is a whole lot like what we're going through. No sports, mm. no concerts, no going to the movies, no going out to dinner, no going to school, no going to bars. Uh, we can barely go to the grocery store, no going to church. And so as a result of these things being taken away, we should be looking up saying, Hosanna, save us now. We need you, Lord. These false gods that we've created, these things that we have worshipped, Lord, we see that they have been inadequate. We're not looking to ESPN for deliverance. We're looking to Jehovah God for deliverance. We're not looking to the movie theater for deliverance. We're looking to God for deliverance. And even right now, some of us are going without money. We're going without paychecks. So we're crying out, God, you got to make a way out of no way. The drought was designed to bring the people back to God. <clears throat> so the problem in the land, oh, it was more spiritual than it was physical. Look at verse 17 of 1 Kings chapter 18. It says, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Elijah's saying, let's have a showdown on Mount Carmel. Me against the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. 850 verses 1. Verse 20. Oh. But God and one person are a majority. It all depends on whose side you're on. I'm on the Lord's side. Mm -mm -mm. Watch out. We talked about that last week. If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter or waver? between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets of 450 men, I guess the Asherah prophets never came, Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. <laughs> So this is more of a spiritual problem than it is a water problem or a physical problem. You see, the land was struggling 
because God's people were straddling. The land was struggling because God's people were straddling. They needed to choose the Lord or choose Baal. So when Elijah put that word out to them, the Bible says they didn't answer him a word. They, they, they were struggling between these two choices, which really shouldn't even be a choice. It ought to just be God and no one or nothing else. But compromise had leaked into the people of God. And now they're caught up between should I choose Yahweh or should I choose Baal? And they're so backslidden that when he says to them, how long will you falter between these two opinions? If you're with God, let's go. If you're with Baal, go. Go with him. And they stood there. They didn't say anything. So they're straddling the fence. One foot with God, one foot with Baal. And the land was struggling because the church was straddling. <laughs> the land was struggling. Pastor, what do you mean uh, the church was straddling? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Anything else is of the devil. What does that mean? You're either with Jesus or you're not. Don't try to do this double agent thing where, where, where you're a secret service Christian. You know that, that, yeah, I love the Lord on Sunday, but through the rest of the week, I live for the world and I live like the world. There's nothing different about me. But on Sunday, I say I love God. No, no, no. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. We don't need any more of these folks trying to go both ways. It's either one way or no way. Because when you're in that waffling place, you've chosen Satan. That's what Jesus said. But not only that, James 1.8 says that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. If you're with the Lord, rock with the Lord. If you're not with the Lord, don't rock with the Lord. You're confusing people when you say one thing and do another. You're either all in or you're all out. Stop this straddling stuff. You're double-minded, which means you're unstable in everything that you do. Then in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, Jesus says to the church of Laodicea, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot, but the problem is y'all are in the middle and y'all are what? Lukewarm. And Jesus says, I got to spew you out of my mouth. I'd rather for you to be hot. That means been on fire for God or cold, not even rolling with God. One or the other, but stop trying to be both in the Lord and then in the world. No, 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 man. We are in the world, but not of the world. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. This is a good time for us to take self-inventory. As things have been taken away from us, we have time to spend with God like we haven't in a long time, if ever before. But in moments like this, if God still doesn't have our attention, but the other stuff, we may need to examine, do we really know the Lord we profess to know? But make a choice. You're either in or you're out. Stop this straddling. Because when the church is straddling, it causes the world to struggle. Remember when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, 
You're good for nothing except to be stepped on by men. So if you're going to be salt, be salt. But don't be saltless salt. You're no good for the kingdom of God. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's have a gut check today, which is what we see in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where it says, choose this day whom you will serve. And that was after he talked about the gods that were on the other side of the Jordan that the Israelites knew about, that they prostituted themselves with those false gods. And he said, you know what? You need to choose today whom you're going to serve. You're either going to serve those false gods or you're going to serve the one true and living God. You can't waver between two opinions anymore. So the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate. Come on now. This is a cleansing time. This is a purging time. Let's get right. Ah, Let's put those idols down. Look at verse 36. This is good. Now this, this is going to blow you away. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 36. So the 450 prophets, they prepared their bull and uh, they, they began to chant and do all the things that they would do to try to get Baal, the fraud god, to answer from heaven by sending fire or lightning to come and blow up the altar and set it on fire. So they're calling out to Baal and they're calling out from the morning all the way past noon and into the evening and they're cutting themselves with lances blood is dripping they're dancing around doing all of this stuff but there's nothing there was no answer why because Baal does not exist Baal is a false god and so after they did all of that it was Elijah's turn and the Bible says that Elijah prepared his offering the bull got it ready and he had one stone set for each of the 12 tribes of Israel on that altar. And then he went so far as to say, I want y'all to go get some water and pour it on top of the bull. Wait a minute, time out. Water is scarce, is it not? <laughs> water is a precious commodity. But here the prophet is, in a sense, grandstanding for God. He's about to set this thing up so they know this is God. He says, pour water on it. Then he says, do it a second time. Then he says, pour water on it a third time. There was so much water on the altar that it filled up the trench that had been dug around the altar and the sacrifice. And then the Bible says that the man of God prayed through this season. Look at verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, that could even be, be translated as prayed, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me. That's what prayer is, Lord, hear me, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. So no more wavering, right? <laughs> the fire of God fell. 
and the people of God repented. The fire of God fell and the people of God repented. Now listen very carefully to this. Everybody wanted God to send rain down. Lord, Lord, fix this, make it right, send the rain. But God wouldn't send the rain until he sent the fire. The fire had to come first and then the rain would come. What's the point of the fire? It cleansed the people. It purged the people. It brought the people back to right relationship with God. Had God sent the rain without the fire, the people may have never repented and they would have given Baal and Ahab all the glory for the rain. So God says, no, I'm not going to send the blessing because if I send the blessing without sending the fire, you'll never be cleansed. So I've got to cleanse you. Your hearts have got to come back to me. That's what the Bible says. They said the Lord is God. The Lord is God. God won't send the rain. That is the healing until he sends the fire, which is the cleansing. We want the rain without the fire. We want the blessing without the cleansing. We keep asking God to get us out of this mess. But God is first concerned with getting this mess out of us. What kind of church is Christ coming back to get? According to the book of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27, he's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. So how does the bride get spots and wrinkles out of her gown? Spots and wrinkles come out from the washing of the word and from heat and pressure. That's how spots come out of clothes, man. Heat and pressure, washing, rubbing. Wrinkles come out from heat and pressure with an iron. So the Lord is cleansing his church during this hour. He's ironing the wrinkles out of his church during this hour. Because what's going on in the land may not really be about sinners. Because sinners do what sinners do. They're going to fulfill their job description. But when the church acts so much like the world, so much so that the world doesn't know what the church looks like, there's compromise in the land. So God's got to get the church right in order to get the world right. Back in the day, there was this thing called AIDS. And it still exists. But we're focusing so much on this virus that we miss other ailments. And AIDS is when something like a common cold becomes pneumonia and it kills you. Why? Because your immune system is broken down because of acquired immunity deficiency syndrome. Your immune system is deficient so it can't ward off things in the environment like it used to. So when the immune system is weakened, you become more susceptible in your body. So the church is the world's immune system, immunity system. So when we become weakened, when we catch a cold, the world catches pneumonia. 
When we're not right, the world is really wrong. So God's got to strengthen the immune system. He's got to get the church right so that the church can impact the world the right way. So what if what's going on right now is the church, believers, Christians, that God is trying to get our attention to get right with the Lord. First Peter chapter four, verse 17 says, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So God's saying, I'm dealing with my people first. The church, judgment starts with us first. The people of God in Elijah's day had to get right. The people of God in our day have to get right with God. Uh, we love to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, then will I forgive their sin, then will I heal the land. We, we love to quote 2 Chronicles 7.14. But how many of us go back and quote verse 13 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7? When God says, if I stop the rain from falling down, if I send a plague among the people, if I send pestilence among the people, if my people who are called by my name. In other words, sometimes God is the reason for the problem that we're facing. Our sin is causing God to shut up the heavens. It's causing God to disrupt our way of life because we're focusing on other things, other gods, bales instead of him. So God is saying, I've got to shut the heavens up to get your attention. I got to stop sending rain to get your attention. I got to confine you to your house to get your attention. I got to have pestilence in the land to get the church's attention. Because if we're not going to be serious with God, why should we expect the world to get serious with God? So what should our prayer be to get us through this season? It ought to be, Lord, please burn out of my life anything and anyone that doesn't belong. Lord, send the fire. You know, we pray for revival, but Lord, let it begin with me. Man, draw a circle, stand in that circle and say, Lord, whatever is not like you in this circle, burn it out. I surrender it to you. I give it to you. All these idols, these things I put before you, they may have been good things, but I made them bad things when I put them before you. Let's get right, church. I need to look at my life. I need to look at myself. What do I need to repent of? What attitude, what action, what activity needs to change in my life? Because God is nothing to be played with. You see, we keep waiting on God, but it might be that God is waiting on us. Mm -mm -mm. Now, before I go to the third and final point, I need you to notice something. The people changed. The people of God repented. So much so that they grabbed the prophets of Baal and Elijah executed them. The people changed. But watch this. The people changed, but the king didn't. Ahab did not change from what he saw with his own two eyes. 
He went home and talked to his wife Jezebel and they mounted up their attack even more against the one true God and Elijah, the prophet of God, where Jezebel now sent out a 24 hour hit on Elijah saying, I'm going to kill him by the gods that I worship. The gods that Elijah just defeated in the name of Yahweh. So they didn't change. They didn't humble themselves. And I'm not trying to make this a political thing. But again, this is a spiritual thing. As we pray for our leaders, our mayors, our governors, our congressmen and women, senators, and of course the president, we're praying that our leaders would humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. It's hard for us to learn when we're not humble. When we're not humble, we're not teachable. And so we need to pray that our leaders would humble themselves, that our president would humble himself and admit when he doesn't know things and admit when he needs to lean on other people, admit when he is wrong. Because I believe that God won't send the kind of rain that we need until those who profess to know him are willing to humble themselves. So as we pray that for ourselves, we pray that for our leaders. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I love in the book of Jonah how when Jonah had come to town saying, repent or Nineveh will be destroyed in 40 days. The Bible says that these unbelievers, these non-Jews repented and they fasted and they asked God for mercy. Not only the people, but the king himself put on sackcloth and ashes and humbled himself. And the Bible says when God saw how demonstrative and broken the people were, he relented from the disaster that he had prepared for them. Imagine what would happen if all of us, including our elected officials and the president of the United States, humbled themselves before God and said, Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us. I believe God will give us great grace. But thirdly and finally, let's talk about prayer will get us out of this. <laughs> prayer got us in it. Prayer is going to get us through it. A prayer of repentance from the fire of God. But then thirdly and finally, prayer is going to get us out of this. In James chapter 5, verse 18, the Bible says, And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. And he prayed again. He prayed to get him in that. He prayed through it. He's going to pray again to get them out of that drought. Look at verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. So he heard it before he saw it. What are you hearing right now in the spirit realm? Are you hearing that the Lord is in control? Yeah. Are you hearing that God is good? Are you hearing the abundance of mercy? Oh yeah, he's good. I'm hearing it and I'm seeing it. Oh man. So Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees 
And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. I don't see anything. And seven times he said, go again. So that means he would pray on his face, on his knees. Now go look. I don't see anything. He'd pray on his face and on his knees. Go look. I don't see anything. And he would pray on his face and on his knees. Go look. I don't see anything. This happened seven times. So as he's praying earnestly in prayer, he prayed. He went deeper in prayer. He didn't give up in prayer. Men should always pray and not faint. He kept praying because God told him the rain is going to come. But the man of God kept praying. He prevailed in prayer. And I pray right now that you and I will prevail in prayer, that we will not give up. Prayer changes things. Prayer puts the devil on the run. Prayer gets us into the presence of God. We push past the veil and we get straight into the throne room of God. He prayed again. He prayed again. And he prayed again. Then the Bible says in verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. God proved that he reigned over Baal by sending down the rain. The drought was averted by persistent prayer and intercession by the man of God. And when the people of God stand in the middle between destruction and God, God is merciful and he stops the destruction because of intercession. We see this over and over again in the Bible, in the book of Numbers. A plague had gone out among the people. Many people were dying. Moses told Aaron, take your censer, put incense in it, and stand between the living and the dead so that the plague might be averted. And God stayed his hand. And then in uh, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 24, when David had sinned because he had numbered the people, a plague went out and began to kill innocent people. And so David went up to the threshing floor to offer a sacrifice to God. And as a result of offering a sacrifice, prayer, intercession, the plague was averted. And we see that here in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah prayed, the plague was averted. And when we pray, when we stand in the gap, and ask God to have mercy. Our prayers can get us out of these things. Not because we're so good. But because God is a merciful God. Well in conclusion. I, I don't know exactly. What this is. But I do know what. This is like. It's like the drought in Israel. During the days. Of Elijah. We saw that prayer is what got them in that. Prayer is what got them through that. And prayer is what got them out of that trying season. And for us, it may have been our prayers that got us in this place. It's going to be our prayers that's going to get us through. And it's going to be our prayers that get us out. 
The great missionary Hudson Taylor once said, Satan may build a wall about us, but he cannot put a roof over us to keep us from praying to God. So the great missionary said that Satan may try to perplex us on every hand, but he cannot stop us from praying. And when I read that quote, it reminded me of a song, a very popular song that has over one billion views on YouTube. And that song is Happy by Pharrell Williams. Because in that song, he says that happiness is like a room without a roof. And I would argue with one of my close friends about that lyric because it didn't make sense to me. Who would want to be in a room that doesn't have a roof? But the point of the song is that happiness bubbles over in such a way where you're living in a room without a roof because you're so happy. Well, if I could remix that or translate that over to prayer, that when we pray, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We can always get through to God who's above us. And so Pharaoh Williams may have said, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. But I'm going to say, pray along if you feel like a room without a roof. Pray along if you feel like Jesus Christ is the truth. Pray along if you know what the power of prayer can do. Pray along if you feel like prayer is going to get us through. Because can't nothing bring me down. I say, can't nothing uh, bring me down. Your love is so high to bring me down. Y'all know I try. But come on, God's people, let's pray. Pray for yourself during this season. Obviously, pray for your family. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for the loss. And pray that God would have mercy. The greatest thing that we can do during this season as the people of God is to pray. Would you now receive the benediction with me? Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless Strong Tower. Love you.